Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 10th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. So first of all, Scott, congratulations. Two graduations in a week. That's pretty impressive. That's like instant empty nest. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, someone going off to college, we got a high school graduation. Yeah, good stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Big week. It's a long ways from those pictures behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I know they remind us that uh, they were one small. <laughs> okay. So what do we got going on this week? Apple, you know, had this worldwide developers conference. Anything come out of it interesting? You know, the most interesting thing. Here, FinTech. A little bit of fintech coming out of there. Yes, there were some some actual, you know, and it's it's funny. For a while, we've had not only virtual Apple events, but very incremental Apple events. This one was actually largely in person. The recorded part, which laid it all out, was not the exciting part. The exciting part was when they let the developers into, you know, that giant glass Steve Jobs theater. People yeah. got to see each other. I saw people, you know, in the Apple universe that I haven't seen in years, in the press universe that I haven't seen in years. Um, you know, Tim Cook made an appearance and was instantly mobbed by, uh, you know, developers and was doing selfies for about an hour and a half straight. Uh, so it was, it had a feel of, you know, sort of the old, let's get together and actually see each other in person kind of events. As for what they came up with, even the incremental stuff I thought was important. You mentioned FinTech, uh, you know, Apple is clearly tinkering with Apple Pay. You can now do, uh, you know, buy now, pay later features, which for a phone is, is pretty impressive. Um, you know, and they're adding little things to iMessage. You can edit your, your texts a little bit later. Um, you can change your, your uh, you know, your, your lock screen. These are small things, but they hint at what Apple is always trying to do Instead of hitting home runs, they're trying to just make it so that you're always on your device in one way or another. Right. And, you know, this way you can use your phone to be a camera when you're on Zoom on your Mac. And, you know, just little things like that, that probably won't make headlines. But if people really start to use them, could change the way that we do things like mobile payments, healthcare on wearable devices, things like that. Well, if I was an online payment company, I'd be really nervous right now. I mean... It is, it's not going to be a headline, but it could have some real transformative effects on the industry. Yeah, there were a couple of companies, uh, a firm, which is one of them that's a, I think, started by a former Facebook executive, a buy now, pay later company, and even PayPal that had their stocks take a hit as the keynote went on, which you see these days more and more from Apple events. They Real-time real impact on the markets. Yeah, you just know that startups and smaller companies are sweating it when they say, hey, we're going to tinker with this one feature that happens to be what another company does for a living. Well, okay, so let's take the other side of the, the other poll, the, uh, Elon Musk. He had, a, so he sent in the lawyers to dispute the Twitter deal, right? Right. And, but the board says it's still on. So Elon seems to be edging towards the door, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> running towards the door, Mike. Running towards the door, but Twitter keeps saying, no, 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 it's still happening. What do you think? Which, which story are you buying? I think there are two stories that you buy here. I think Elon wants out. 
um, yeah. being very dramatic about it. Um, I think his lawyers are, uh, you know, they've got a challenge because this is, and we've talked about this before, this is a deal. This is a contract to buy this company at a specific price. Yes. And Musk went in, as Musk often does, um, a bit reckless and saying, hey, we don't need to look too deeply into this company. I know what I want. I'll buy it as is. And yeah. then all of a sudden, the lawyers are told, hey, come up with something that might let me make an exit here. And, you know, they came up with, oh, there are too many bots, which of all people, Elon Musk already knows plenty about bots. He already knew that, but, you know... It, he can hold them to that to that offering, you know. They said we we represent that we have this many users and all of that. I mean, it's it's a possible, it's a viable way out if he really wants to use it. I think, possibly. I don't I, I don't know. Um, and and the contract that's there and the lack of due diligence done ahead of time, I don't think is on Musk's side. I think that's on the board of directors' side. And interestingly. Remember, the board was criticized for taking this deal right away. Oh, they folded because Musk has so many fans and he's such a big presence on Twitter. Now they look like financial geniuses because Twitter stock is nowhere near the price of the deal that has been approved by both sides, but is now sort of being, I guess you could say, litigated. You almost get that feeling the board was kind of like, no, no, don't buy us. <laughs> because <laughs> they knew the numbers i think they knew the numbers i think you're right elon just went in there you know flag is flying in his usual impetuous way right and we did have and, and are in the midst of a pretty steep tech stock downturn that not only makes 54 dollars 20 a very attractive price for twitter i mean it's nowhere near that and would probably be considerably excuse me considerably lower if it weren't for the musk deal um, but even Tesla, you know, which was a trillion dollar company when all this started up above a thousand dollars and is now some days falling even below 700, which, you know, it still puts it at a high valuation. But if it's true that that Musk is sort of borrowing on the value of some of the Tesla stock, yeah. if those shares go much lower, the deal could be in trouble there. I don't think that will happen. Yeah, I think it looked like play money. I think it was, you know, money, you know, having fun money. And all of a sudden, you know, it's not there anymore. Well, apparently, even for right the richest person uh, in the world, you, you still have to, you still have to meet deadlines, and you still have to come up with money when you owe money. And Twitter board thinks yeah, he owes forty four. I don't know if you read that other news item, but in China, Tesla has canceled three re big recruiting events. You know, when when Musk said we're gonna, you know, we're gonna freeze, we're gonna lay off ten percent of our employees. It looks like he wasn't kidding. And it looks like it started in China. It may have, but remember, he said he was going to lay off 10%. The stock took a hit. Everyone thought, whoa, that's transparency beyond what a CEO usually does because you have your workers wondering if they're among the people who are about to get laid off. And then he said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. Anyone who makes cars is fine. We're actually going to add staff. And so again, you just can't trust what he says or does until some deed is done. And that's how I look at this Twitter deal. The deed is not yet done. And I'm no lawyer, but it looks like they have an agreement that's fairly ironclad. And I don't know if some sort of legal maneuvering to try to show that Twitter has more bots than we thought is going to get him out of this deal. I just think that he's going to end up paying a breakup fee and then maybe some legal fees. 
and there might be some lawsuits from shareholders if this thing doesn't go through because again they have a they have a deal lose a lot of money and walk away with nothing right yeah there was a very interesting I, i'm not do you know vivek wadwin he, yes. he writes a lot for the wall street journal and he has a blog and all those kind of things he literally came out this week and said it's a good thing that India is having second thoughts about working with Tesla because Elon is a wild card. Elon, quote, has a serious drug addiction problem and is self-destructing. You don't see that in a new, you know, in a article by a, you know, a proven journalist very often. Common friends have expressed this concern. And I'm really sad that the greatest innovator of our time is going down this dark path. Uh, and then he said, the good news is that India doesn't need Elon or Tesla. The technology is now more than a decade old, and people are tired of the broken promises. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I know he's going for views, but, you know, and you got, you got it in the modern world of the web, you got to, you got to, everything's hyperbole, but that's a pretty strong statement. Verging on libel you know can he exactly. prove I don't, I don't think, can he prove elon's a drug addict no that's the thing i don't think we have any proof of that and that's uh that seems to be a wild swing i think there's a different d word at work here and that is drama and i think for musk it's very important that he's sort of the center stage of things yeah uh and he likes, the, he likes the lights exactly and and when like you know you hinted at earlier when you're the richest person you've got some what seems to be play money. And it's like, hey, I love Twitter. I you know, have raised the valuation of my car company because people love it because they read about it on Twitter. I'm going to buy Twitter. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, there's drama there too. And, and so uh, you know, we may be wringing our hands. Is he going to, is the deal going to fall through? I think he just really enjoys the drama of it all. And this could last months, everybody. This isn't gonna be solved next Monday or Tuesday. Uh, this could last for months. There's even something that says if it's not done by October and there are some sort of mitigating circumstances, you can take another six months. So this could be into 2023. And I really feel for the Twitter employees and shareholders who are riding this roller coaster because Elon likes drama. And do, do they really want to ride this roller coaster during a recession? You know, well, you want to have more, a job. One more thing added to their lives, you know? Right. And well, and that's, that's a big point there because you want a job during a recession. You always want a job. And six months ago, anyone on Twitter could have said, oh, I, I work at Twitter. I have these, these crazy tech skills. I'll go anywhere else. Now yeah. we're starting to see companies either have layoffs or say they're putting on hiring freezes. And so there may not be nearly as much mobility for you know, aggrieved Twitter employees. I, you know, I really think that I've seen, I'm feeling a turning around here. I was talking to this son of a friend of mine. He's doing very well in the Valley. And he was saying, you know, I wonder if I should look for someplace else. What do you think? And I said, not now, safe Harbor time, you know, stay in the job you got, you got seniority, you know, don't be looking right now. And I think that that philosophy is, I'm starting to feel it coming up everywhere in the Valley. It's, you know, it's except for one place. AI, apparently uh, all the big companies like Meta and all that are losing their, their AI gurus. They're all going to these startups. All of a sudden they're getting recruited away because the startups got a billion dollars in venture capital money. 
uh, in the last few months, and they're just hiring the best talent they can. It's kind of interesting. They're going to, uh, where are they going? Oh, uh, inflection, cohere, adept, anthropic. And they've been poached away from, uh, from all the big tech companies. That's usually a sign that, that we're going to see a lot of things happening. And when you see that, when you see the best people in a field leave a company, no matter what their reasoning is, that usually means that company, the older company, is not going to do as well in that market in the years to come. It may be. It's hard for really large companies. I mean, in one way, it's easy because they have a lot of cash, but it's hard for a, a lot, of, you know, a giant company. And let's face it, Meta is now a giant company to pivot like that. You know, it took Microsoft a long time. Um, and I don't have many other examples. I mean, HP failed at it. There are a lot of big companies, Sun Micro, that really were unable to pivot um, at least near well, as quickly as the smaller companies. It's the story of the valley. Right. You, know, you can have a great company and all that, but new startups are so appealing. The prospect of having founder stock, having carte blanche, having a lot of money, you're being funded. I mean, why would you stay? This, 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 that isn't the personality of this town to stay safe in a big old company. There's much more excitement in life and it's much more rewarding, even if you fail to be in a startup. And I think we're in that mode with AI right now. True. And, and my only question to you is, when recessionary times hit, startups struggle, right? And so isn't that when the big companies that have the cash say, okay, instead of trying to pivot towards, let's say this new area, whether it's AI or the metaverse or whatever, we'll just buy up the smaller companies that are going to struggle because it's a recession. They have the talent, they have the technology kind of already there. Let's just buy them and save them and save those workers. And at the same time, allow us to get a new thing without having to really focus on that thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true, except for one thing, which is startup companies struggle during recessions, but starting a company, mm. there's no better time than a recession because you've got a lot of talent on the street, you've got time, the big companies are kind of locking down and you know, hunkering down against the recession. So they're not moving. So it's a perfect time to go under the radar and build yourself a startup with some really good talent. And then as the economy begins to come out, that's when you go talk to the VCs. I mean, I think you've seen more great companies start during, during downtimes. That's true. Than you do during good times, yeah. But it's, you know, it's a gamble because if the recession lasts, you're still sitting there at, at Starbucks with your business plan and your teammates and nobody's making any money and you can't find any money yet. So it's always a high risk, but that's the perfect time. Everybody listening, if you're going to start a company, get ready. You know, this is the moment. I'll, I'll see you at Pete's at that far table. Uh, speaking of big companies, I got, I got a note from um, Bob. Uh, he's saying that Gessinger glow is beginning to fade. Intel... You know, I mean, Gelsinger re-arrived and he was going to come. I mean, he came back to Intel and he was going to really get things moving. And he did a frenzy of activity, but the stock is starting to slide now. They've still got another two years before they get those onshore fabs up and running. I mean, it's hard to come back. I mean, once, uh, you know, once you miss, I think Gates said it, once you miss one business cycle, you know, it's very, very hard to catch up. And Intel, Intel lost it 10 years ago, and they've been struggling ever since. 
Yeah, you know, if and someone it, were to say, uh, you know, at least in the tech world, the biggest surprise of 2022 uh, that, you know, we wouldn't have seen coming in years past. Earlier this year, AMD became a more valuable company than Intel. Yeah. Uh, I mean, somewhere Jerry Sanders is, is looking laughing. down. Yeah. Laughing. Oh, yeah. He's pouring drinks for the house. And, and so right now they're, they're very close within a few billion of each other. Uh, and on top of that, you have NVIDIA which was always an Intel shadow. It's now something like three times the valuation of Intel, even after getting chopped down. Um, Intel is just no longer the shot caller of the Valley that it once was. And I know there are other companies you could say that, you know, uh, Cisco, HP, et cetera. Um, But in the chip world, which has seen a very strong renaissance, chips are once again, the center of the action. Uh, Intel has sort of been left out of that equation. It's more the Qualcomm's and the NVIDIA's and even under Lisa Sue, AMD. Yeah, yeah, and Intel, but Intel had a hell of a run, 40 years at the top, you know? And, but the, you know, the problem is not companies getting old around here. The problem is what we just talked about. Talent migrates towards what's hot. And Intel hasn't been hot for a while. And at a certain point, we saw this with Microsoft, where a company... The people at the top were ambitious still. They had great ideas and all that, but it's like their body is paralyzed. They just can't make the company move at the rate and with the rate of innovation that they thought it could because they've lost too many of those key people. And I wonder if that's what's happening in Intel. And ironically, if Intel had gotten those fabs online, I mean, the Wall Street Journal today has a story about how the chip shortage is spreading now. It's not just, you know, engine computers for F-150s. Now we're talking about the really high-end, you know, 10 billion transistors on a chip, you know, server level and, and uh, uh, supercomputer level chips. Uh, there's, in, in TMSC is having a heck of a time getting them built. Things are starting to delay. I mean, we're, we're entering into the, into unexpectedly, an age of uh, lack of supply. I mean, we're seeing it in baby formula and, and you know, all sorts of places, but we're, we're beginning to see it everywhere across chips. And if that happens, everything starts to slow down. And we talked about this six months ago with the chip shortage and the lack of fab. There's this, there's this lag time right now. We're waiting for all those big factories to get built for TMSC to get off of Taiwan and get somewhere else. We could have begin to see Moore's Law slowing down simply because they can't fap them right now. And that could last another two, three, four years uh, till the inventory start getting replenished. It's going to be tough. Right. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing companies like Apple and to an extent Tesla trying to say, hey, we'll make our own chips uh, because we just can't count on the traditional you know, suppliers. Yeah, well, the problem, the problem with saying we'll make our own chips is what they're really saying is we'll contract an offshore supplier, you know, and what company is that? TMSC. I mean, they're the ones having beginning to have real shortages now. You can't just go and say, hey, make us a new, a new chip design here. They don't have the capacity right now. So, it, you know, I, I don't see an easy fix on this. Um, okay, so we also got to know from Jordan. And uh, Jordan was saying, uh, pointed out that the, uh, the lawmakers in the EU 
have agreed. I mean, there was some concern about this on a single mobile charging point port for mobile phones, tablets, and cameras. So this is kind of interesting. Did you see that the any kind of ripple effect of on that on Apple at the developers meeting? No, not yet. But I think uh, uh, they, are they starting to add USB C ports and they're adding them. Yeah, and Apple is doing it under the guise of you know we don't need a plug and it cuts down on packaging and it's less harmful for the environment. And that's also something that was cited in the European decision. Hey, if we have one connector, it's more you know simpatico with everything else and also better for the environment. So I think it, it, this is not one of those things where the EU is saying, hey, let's completely shut down a, a, the American tech company. You can't even plug it in if you don't use our equipment. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the EU sort of saying, hey, you know, at least when you're over here, you got to use our standard. Uh, but I, I think Apple is already starting to go towards that standard. But uh, Apple and tech companies don't want different standards for different countries. They want to go by what Thomas Friedman said so famously that we're in a flat earth and everyone uses everything together. And that's sort of the dream of, you know, if you're a car company or if you're a phone company, and this sort of puts a, a little bit of a dent in that. I know that Apple has the resources to adjust, but it's interesting that the EU for its size has a pretty big stick over the tech industry that it continues to use. And they're taking advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, over and over again. I got to say, though, I hated the Apple plug. But, you know, as years go by and as I get more maladroit and trip over things, the fact that I don't tear the plug apart and it just pops right off the machine has actually become a real benefit for me in my old age. So we'll, well, I, I'm curious to see what, what the EU comes up with as a new standard. Um, and finally, I... Let's talk about this just for a couple of minutes. I think we have a few moments left, six minutes. Um, I was working with a woman named Annette Finsterbush, and she is one of the few women CEOs in the battery business. And she comes out of applied materials. She was um, in their VC wing, and she runs a company called Enpower, and they're in Indianapolis. And we got to talking about the battery shortages because, you know, it's it's beginning to show up in the news. People are starting to talk about it. And I said, well, how bad is it? You know, you, I, we had that story last week about that uh, Portuguese electric automaker saying, we're going to have real shortages in a couple of years. And she said, I think he's being optimistic. And she told me why. She says, if you look at the entire food chain, the supply chain of batteries at every level, we're running into shortages. She says, at digging the stuff out of the ground, we're having to deal with bad guys around the world. If you want to get cobalt, you know, you have to go to the Congo. Um, so we're, we, we're not doing enough digging right now, trying to find the raw materials. Then you go down to the next level. The architecture of these of batteries, there are so many different kinds. It's not like they make one C-cell for the entire world. You know, you have double A's, triple A's, you have car batteries, you have watch batteries. On and on, you have a different kind of battery in your hedge clipper. Because of that different architectures, you can't, you know, just scale up one size fits all. You have to pick and choose which designs you're going to make. And then she said, you go down to the next level. And she said, there's, uh, if you look at batteries like in your Tesla, once it gets down to about 80% productivity, 
you have to throw it out. Well, what do you do with those? There's not much you can do. You really can't put those on the side of a house because it might set the house on fire. So where does it go? It either gets recycled and there's not enough recycling companies to, to take these things apart down to their components and, and run it back through the system. So it goes in the landfill. Well, if it goes in the landfill, you're talking the next environmental disaster because that's going to be billions of batteries. When all those Teslas get to be about 10 years old and all those batteries get torn out, we're going to have a serious mess on our hands. So she actually said, we need, we actually need, and you wouldn't expect this, government to get involved at different levels, like investment, a kind of a semi-tech and you know, a DARPA kind of arrangement. But she said the, the danger right now is government looks like the feds are look like they're going back to picking winners in the field, which is just going to make things even messier. So uh, I thought that that was a very quick summary by her. And I thought that's interesting. And it kind of predicts what's going to be in the news in the next couple of years as we go. More, you know, we're, we're, we're seem to be trying to shift more and more towards electric, but that electric, especially batteries, has got some real serious, you know, production problems and supply problems coming up. As I said, it's it's the era of short supply. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like that's going to end all that soon, especially if along the supply chain, companies have to lay people off instead of add people. Yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean that's the recycling issue is something that I know battery companies are dealing with and supply issues they're dealing with. And at the same time, people are saying, hey, we wanna buy these cars. If you look at the inflation numbers just out this morning, used cars are up something 18% year over year in cost, new cars, something like 14, 15, 16% year over year. And it's not that, uh, you know, that's not a, a thing of, hey, wages are up a little bit. That's because there is a shortage and it's really harder to get your hands on them. I don't know how long that will last, but that's what's hitting home to people right now. It's hard to get your hands on what you want. I wouldn't have thought, I would never would have guessed that my 25-year-old beater Toyota Altima is actually worth more than, you know, it's actually gone up in value more than the art in my house. <laughs> that, that buying a beater is actually a good investment right now, but it's absolutely true. Um, you know, hang on to that car get it fixed you know right now because boy uh, you know it's very some interesting things are about to happen i she's optimistic she says i come out of the chip industry you know we've done we did miracles for 25 years every time they say there's going to be a shortage going to be more's laws coming to an end she said somebody came up with a miracle and she says i think it's going to happen i believe it's going to happen in the battery business too uh, but, you know, when you start depending upon miracles, that's usually a bad sign. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, anything else you want to add before we run out of time? No, I think you covered it all. We've been flaming along here. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, and, of course, our YouTube page. Have a great weekend. Have a great graduation, Scott. Thank you. Congratulations again, um, and we'll see you next week.